Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, January 23rd, 2018, and I'm your host, Ariel Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. We have a few spots still available for our two upcoming Starseed Quests to Arkansas, but they are filling fast. The first one is for Athena's birthday and the spring equinox, one in the, one the same. That is March 16th through the 19th, and then again for Pleiadian lineup on May 18th through the 21st. All you need to have is at least one galactic star marking on your astrological chart at 25, 26, or 27 degrees of any sign. This is a soul group reunion in the crystal capital of the world, and it's designed to enable a catalyst for starseed empowerment to higher frequencies. We've redesigned this event to be much more affordable than our previous gatherings. So if this sounds like something that you've been looking for, just write to crystals, that is plural, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-S, at starseedhotline.com for more details. We are so pleased to welcome Tricia McCannon back to our show this evening. Tricia is a renowned American clairvoyant, historian, author, and teacher who has traveled the world in search of answers to the greatest mysteries of the ages. For over two decades, she's been a headliner at conferences in both Europe and America. As a mystical symbologist and initiate in many ancient paths of wisdom, she's appeared on over 200 radio shows, including Coast to Coast AM, Dreamland, Gaim TV, and a number of international documentaries. She is the author of four acclaimed books, Dialogues with the Angels, The Return of the Divine Sophia, Healing the Earth Through the Lost Wisdom, Teachings of Jesus, Isis, and Mary Magdalene, Jesus, the explosive story of the 30 lost years and the ancient mystery religions, and her latest book, which is The Angelic Origins of the Soul, Discovering Your Divine Purpose. Initiated in many ancient streams of wisdoms, her workshops are a powerful synthesis of history and mystical wisdom. She's the founder of the Phoenix Fire Lodge Mystery School in Atlanta, a bishop in the Madonna Ministries, and the author of over 30 DVDs and 13 online classes. As a healer, hypnotherapist, and clairvoyant, she's given readings to over 6,000 people worldwide in her continuing commitment to inner awakening and world unity. You can visit her website, which, which is com, And Trisha is T-R-I-C-I-A. McCannon is M-C-C-A-N-N-O-N. Speaks, S-P-E-A-K-S dot com. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. And we'd like to thank Jada and Kathy for hosting the switchboard tonight for anyone who may have a question or comment for our guest. You can check out our online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it's a safe place to connect with other Starseeds, thanks to Tammy's dedication and help with the forum. You can download our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk. And if you'd like to show your support of our program, please click follow on our page here at Blog Talk, and you'll get our weekly show notice. 
The toll-free number for StarseedHotline.com is 888-881-0881. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. And for those who need healing of any kind, emotional, physical, or spiritual, for yourself or your pets, Tammy's powerful remote sessions will make a difference for you. And if you have a birthday coming up, you don't want to miss out on your 10 hours of power, you can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. And please remember, if you want that chart to be interpreted, you need to order it at least three months ahead because we do have a waiting list for those. So first this evening, I would like to introduce Anastasia with her fascinating starseed news. Good evening, Ariel. Good evening. Hello. <laughs> Hello, starseed listeners. Great to be back. Lots of news. Well, we have a CME that's going to miss Earth. Yesterday, a magnetic explosion in the decaying remains of sunspot AR-2696 hurled a CME into space. But modeling by NOAA analysis confirms that this CME will miss Earth. Right now, the sun is blank, with zero sunspots left on it for the moment. And there will be a super blue moon that promises a triple whammy of lunar treats the 31st of January. The moon is going to put on quite the show at the end of the month. A very rare super blue moon will appear in the skies on the 31st. Now, a super blue moon happens when there are three different lunar events that happen all at once. A super moon, a blue moon, and a blue moon combining to offer sky gazers a triple whammy of super sights. Now, a super moon happens when the moon's perigree, that is when its orbit is closest to Earth, occurs at the same time as a full moon. It makes the moon seem much larger than normal by about 14%. And as well as being a supermoon and a blue moon, on January 31st we'll also have a lunar eclipse when the moon passes behind the Earth and falls into its shadow. And this only happens when the moon, Earth, and sun are all aligned. The moon will be inside the Earth's shadow for about an hour and 15 minutes. And they say that when the moon is in the shadow, it looks reddish, and that is called a blood moon. Now, a blue moon total a lunar eclipse has not occurred in the Western Hemisphere since 1866. And a super blue wow. moon will be visible early Wednesday, January 31st, for people here in the United States. And for people in Asia, the Middle East, other places will be available after sunset on that day. And they say that some parts of Europe, Africa, and Asian, Asia will not get to see this full eclipse. It's going to be a big event, so try to see it. January 31st, it's a Wednesday. Well, this is wild, you guys. You know, Facebook's been in the news a lot, but here's something really intriguing. Facebook has invented a new unit of time, and they call it a flick. The flick has been designed to help developers keep video effects in sync. Derived from frame tick is the word. A flick is one... 750,600,000 of a second. That's the next unit of time after a nanosecond. How in the heck do they compute this stuff, guys? <laughs> but anyway, I mean, really, you know, come on. I thought I split hairs. Goodness sakes. Well, 
A researcher at Oxford said the flick wouldn't have much general impact, but may help create better virtual reality experiences. You know, this um, virtual reality that we're seeing on movies and in TV is getting more and more and more realistic. I'm sure the development of the flick is going to make it seem or appear to be even more realistic. It's just amazing, just amazing stuff. Holy cow. Well, there was a big quake in Alaska this morning, early, just after midnight. It initially measured 8.2 on the Richter, but it was downgraded to a magnitude 7.9. It struck off Alaska's Kodiak Coat, uh, Island uh, after midnight. Um, did you all hear about it? It was very fleeting in the news. They're too busy talking about politics and other nonsense to really report the news. So anyway, talking heads take precedence, but I had to do a lot of research. I had to really track this down today to find out more about it. Um, now this is um, kind of a big deal for a number of reasons. Uh, uh, one of the issues is tsunami warnings. You might have heard uh, not much about the earthquake, but you might have seen uh, ticker tape along the bottom of your TV or perhaps on the news about tsunami warnings. Well, the Timbler uh, prompted the tsunami warning that stretched thousands of miles across Alaska's southern coast, from Attu and the Aleutian Islands to Canada's border with Washington State. And coastal Alaska lives with the most serious tsunami risk in the United States. And historically, tsunamis generated by earthquakes in Alaska have caused severe damage and loss of life along the west coast and across the Pacific. Now, in Alaska... Tsunamis generated by nearby earthquakes represent what they call near-field hazards. In other words, people have only minutes rather than hours to get to safety. Now, as I was researching this news diligently, it struck me that the news focus was on the tsunami and not on the quake. Now, there is an obscure reason for this, which I uncovered. Now, on the Earthquake Alaska website, they reported that in August of last year, a national news uh, uh, outlets picked up national news outlets plural excuse me picked up stories about the earthquake and tsunami threat that's posed by Alaska's Shumagin Gap. There was a study done about the Shuma, Sh- I don't think I'm saying that right Shumagin Gap, and the headlines were scary, like this quote: "Alaska at risk of a massive earthquake and tsunami similar to devastating 2011 Japan event." And another headline said, quote, fault linked to big tsunamis found off Alaska, according to news outlets. So apparently, the risk of tsunami destruction is first on everyone's mind in that region of the country, because they have discovered that there could be particularly catastrophic in this, according to the layout of the land there. People just have nowhere to go uh, in a very short period of time. Now, as a result of the Timbler elsewhere in the U.S., Washington State, Oregon, California, and Hawaii were also under tsunami washes, which uh, eventually were lifted. Now, people reported on social media that the quake was felt hundreds of miles away in Anchorage and beyond. Reports varied about how long the quake shaking lasted, depending on the location, but many people said that it lasted for at least 90 seconds. That's a long time when you're in a quake. And even after they canceled the tsunami alert, people were, uh, officials were telling people to hold fast at their evacuation centers, which, by the way, you guys, were only at about 100 feet above sea level. That's about the best they could do, particularly on Kodiak Island. And one witness said, I've been in Kodiak for 19 years, and that was the strongest, longest-lasting quake I've ever felt. And there were no reports of damage, which is absolutely amazing. We've had a lot of activity along the Pacific Rim, as I'm going to share with you. 
throughout this short newscast. And in Japan, another story about volcanoes and earthquakes and such. They had a volcanic eruption near a ski resort that sets off that set off an avalanche. Uh, a civil defense forces member died, and a dozen other people were injured after a volcano erupted near a, ste- a ski resort in the Gunma Prefecture uh, this morning. It spewed cinders and caused an avalanche, and stones from the eruption, the volcanic eruption of Mount Kukus, oh boy, Kusatsu Shirane, hit a gondola lift and injured at least four people on board, shattered glass, and then... Um, they said that the stones crashed through the roof of a house where about 100 people had evacuated to, by the way. 16 people were injured, by the way. Skiers were gliding down the slopes as black rocks plummeted from the skies and snow billowed up as they struck the ground, sometimes just missing the skiers. Imagine you're going up to a resort to have a nice day of skiing and the mountain blows up. Really wild stuff. And... In uh, Indonesia, they had a moderately strong earthquake that shook the island of Java. There were no immediate reports of damage or injuries, but buildings in the capital swayed for 10 to 20 seconds. Some people were evacuated, sending streams of people into the streets. Now, Indonesia is the world's largest archipelago. It straddles the Pacific Ring of Fire, and of course, as you all know from listening to me on this show, that it is prone to earthquake and volcanic eruptions. But that's not all. The Mayan volcano has erupted once again in the Philippines. It ejected a huge column of lava fragments, smoke, and a thunderous explosion yesterday, sent thousands of villagers back to evacuation centers and prompted a warning that a violent eruption was imminent. And they have discovered something off the coast of Australia. This is pretty amazing. The writer that wrote this story was very clever, and I'm going to respect him and not read it for you directly because I didn't write it but he did say and I'll quote a little bit of it for you he said that today in the news that is best suited for sneaky little hobbitses and shire folk scientists unveiled a map of a faraway volcanic realm that has the distinct look of Mordor about it he goes on to say the region of submarine volcanoes buried beneath the sea south of Australia was discovered by researchers from Australia and Scotland And there's a photograph of this in this article. And indeed, it does look like Mordor. Amazing. Well, this uh, research team employed 3D seismic reflection, which is a geomapping technique that uses seismic waves. There's a positive use of seismic waves, you guys. To measure subsurface structures. And with this technology, the researchers identified 26 separate volcanoes buried roughly 820 feet beneath the seabed. Now, some of the ancient volcanoes reach up to 2,000 feet in height and are surrounded by several lava features never before studied underwater. The technology, they say, that they have used is similar in many ways to what is used to produce ultrasound images of babies. But for the researchers using this technique, they have found a landscape that has has remained hidden for somewhere between 35 to 50 million years. Awesome. Wow. Awesome. And their description of it was just gave me this mental picture of what did this world look like in the beginning. These were above the uh, water, above the ocean. Such turbulence in the formation of the planet. Such uh, ancient 
ancient pictures that brings to mind. So very, very fascinating. A whole mountain of volcanoes underwater. Well, you guys have heard about the problem with the CPU bugs for computers. Everybody's computer has an inherent flaw. Do you did you hear about that, Ariel? Mm, about the no. Well, it's it's been it's been a lot on the mainstream news. Although, if you're into computers much or you're much into this sort of geek stuff, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, they discovered, gosh, I don't know, maybe maybe about three weeks ago now. Actually, they discovered it prior to the fact that they released the news, but it was kind of pre-released or uh, let uh, what's the word leaked out that uh, the major computer manufacturers. Uh, of all computers that have Intel chips in them uh, have a basic flaw that's prone to hacking and that it's a hardware problem. And every computer in the world that has an Intel chip has uh, an inherent vulnerability so that it could get hacked. Well, this sent the computer world into panic, including me, and I'm not in the computer world. I'm just a computer user. But if you may have noticed over the last couple of weeks as you have surfed the net and perhaps tried to visit a website that you like, you may have noticed that the page hasn't been available or that web pages were acting weird or that maybe you couldn't get your email or something appeared to be going wrong with just the smoothness of the way things have been running. Well, that's because many uh, uh, computer hosts, uh, uh, website hosts, um, IT uh, departments, every kind of website, every kind of computer system, these IT professionals have been frantic trying to update or find a patch or a fix for this internal problem that exists in every single computer with a with an Intel chip. Well, so now I'll go on with the story. I've given you a little backstory. Well, um, patches that were released by Intel Corporation to fix highly malicious specter and meltdown vulnerabilities affecting its CPUs. These chips, or these, not these chips, these patches turned out to be faulty, and the company has admitted that, and it's urging customers now to stop installing them until further notice. Well, you know, if you, if you have websites, if you have hosts that, uh, uh, a relationship with hosting uh, people that uh, support your websites or anything like that, if you do any Internet business, you're going to be irritated to hear that because your websites were likely disrupted while your Hosting people were busy installing these patches, okay, that may have put your internet website down for several days while they were trying to follow the Intel, Intel's instructions to put in these patches so that your websites would be safe. Well, now Intel is admitting that they didn't work. And earlier this month, security researchers at Google's Project Zero disclosed that data processed by the majority of modern CPUs, be they desktop computers or smartphones, could be vulnerable to critical exploits that they're now calling Spectre and Meltdown. These are malicious uh, programs. And tech companies reportedly had months to prepare for this, and since the public announcement of these vulnerabilities, Intel released at least three patches. And then they found that their patch led some PCs to reboot unexpectedly in the wrong way. Well, anyway, yesterday, Intel announced that it identified the root cause of the problem and will soon send out another patch to, fill the, to fix the faulty fix. Seems to be quite <laughs> a contrary statement. But in the meantime, 
the company advised, uh, advised operational people that, and cloud service providers and system manufacturers and software vendors and end users to stop using the available versions of the patch as they may produce and introduce uh, unexpected problems and system behavior. Well, this has made the owner of, Line, of uh, Linux very unhappy. And he is starting to howl and say very nasty things about Intel. Um, the inability to properly fix the problem for weeks after the security researchers released documentation of critical vulnerabilities in modern processors used in every single computer and smartphone around the world is sparking lots of criticism in the industry. And the man who pioneered the Linux, uh, Linux family of operating systems, which is a great computer, uh, has not been able to hold his tongue. He says that Intel has not done enough to shield its users from Meltdown Inspector hardware-based bugs. It could allow hackers to steal any data anywhere, including passwords, photos, emails, etc., and so on. And critics are now saying the best possible solution for the company, Intel, is to recall two decades' worth of products and to give everyone in the world free CPUs. But instead, <laughs> well, Intel is trying <laughs> Intel. That's what I said when I first heard about it. They should give us all new computers, okay? Every one of us. But instead, Intel is trying to avoid these enormous losses and further damage to its reputation and intends to continue shipping flawed hardware with software protection, which will be turned off by default, they claim. Now, they're going to continue, folks, to sell computers flawed hardware. That's your computer with the original chips, and they're going to give you a patch to, <laughs> to load into your hardware that doesn't work. So just be advised. In other words, they don't plan to do anything about it. So be advised. <clears throat> Intel could probably send every one of us a dozen computers each and never – it wouldn't make a dent in their money. Okay, It wouldn't make a dent in their money. <laughs> well, you know, there's something going on in Davos, Switzerland. The global economy and geopolitical tensions are taking a backseat to a more immediate problem at this year's Davos Summit in Switzerland, the summit about political and business uh, leaders – uh, because heavy snow is burying the venue. Now, it's in the Swiss Alps, and yesterday, on the eve of these important elitist opening sessions, 3,000 delegates struggled to reach the ski resort, and part of the main train line into Davos had been buried in snow. It forces people onto buses and helicopters that couldn't see or couldn't move, go anywhere because of poor visibility. And pre-summit meetings were canceled, delayed, etc., Delegates were wading through snow-blanketed streets. They were trying to find their hotels. They had to wait for road crews to dig their limousines out of snowdrifts. Businessmen in Brooks Brothers suits slipped on icy patches of snow, and the snow was falling as fast as the machines could clear. It's called the World Economic Forum, by the way. By the way. And they're saying that this was the heaviest snowfall since the four-decades-old summit began in 40 years. And Japan's had a lot of snow. The biggest snowfall in years has partially paralyzed Tokyo. It's led to 67 people having various injuries, and emergency services have been working overtime in Tokyo. They've been covered up with snow. Well, Nevada is a home to a lot of earthquakes. We all know that. 
but they're having another swarm. And in the past months, parts of Reno, Nevada, have experienced a total of 274 known earthquakes. They've mostly been small. They're tiny, maybe 2.0 or or such. Um, But nevertheless, um, they're really watching this because it's a swarm. And according to Earth scientists at the University of Nevada, uh, the swarm kicked off December 18th. It finally quieted down a few days ago or a couple weeks ago on the 12th, and then it's picked back up, and it's on the rise again. So, you know, that that side of the world, along that coastline, along that all the way up to Alaska, around Japan and the Pacific, is certainly active. It's always been active, but it's certainly more active than it used to be. Well, here's a sweet story about dogs. Dog owner was alerted to a gas leak that saved her life. And a Long Island woman says that her dog saved her from uh, a really dangerous situation. Her pit bull named Ruby, she said, doesn't bark very often. But that last Thursday night, Ruby wouldn't stop barking. She barked and barked and barked and barked for over an hour. Well, it took her a long time, but she finally figured out maybe something was wrong with Ruby. So she stood up, Ruby's still barking, Ruby moved to the door, the lady followed, Ruby led her down to the basement. And in her basement, she had recently installed a propane heater. And the minute she went through the door, she smelled gas. And of course, she shut it off, thanks to Ruby. She said that her dog is typically pretty intuitive. She thinks that her breed is even more intuitive but she said that she thinks it was Ruby. She might not be alive to be telling us that Ruby saved her life. Now, Ruby is a trained therapy dog, but has not had any rescue training. So if you're at home and your dog is normally okay and it starts to bark and bark and bark and bark, you might want to pay attention to the dog. Isn't that something? The dog knew this. Yeah, yeah. And got her to get out of her chair and go downstairs and find the problem. That's wonderful. I love that. Well, me too. Well, our quote for the day. I like this. You've all heard it, but I think it's time to just think about it again. Quote of the day. Cowardice asks the question, is it safe? Expediency asks this question, is it politic? Vanity asks the question, is it popular? But conscience asks the question, is it right? And there comes a time when one must take a position that is neither safe, nor politic, nor popular, but one must take it because one's conscience tells one what is right. And that's from Martin Luther King, Jr. So that's it for tonight's news. Not tonight's news. Thanks, everybody. See you again next week. Thank you you so much, Anastasia. (laughs) Thank you, honey. Great job. Thank you so much. And we'll... uh, Look forward to the news next week. You bet. Night-night. Okay. Night-night. Well, um, let me get um, Lavendar and our guest, Tricia McCannon. Switchboard's kind of full tonight, so I have to go through Lavendar. Oh, there you are. Okay. All right. Your mics are open. Hi, Tricia. Welcome to the show. 
Hi, guys. I really enjoyed the news. I could have just, like, we could have made this a three-hour show and had an hour of news and a couple hours of us. I mean, it was fascinating. Yeah. I loved everything she had to say. Well done. Yeah, Anastasia, she puts a lot of time into that and, and brings stuff that, you know, that you just don't hear about. Um, totally. Like she yes. said, everybody's focused on politics and stuff like that and mudslinging, um, and she gets to... We get to hear the truth <laughs> from Anastasia. All that, so Lavendar, uh, all that information about the Ring of Fire, you know, with all the volcanoes and stuff, that's a, that's a major tectonic plate that's been mm-hmm. active. The whole idea of us doing oil drillings off the coast of Alaska, which then takes the viscous fluid out between the shale uh, shell sleeves, that's what happened in the Indian Ocean that created that huge tsunami that killed all those people. So that's the last thing we need to be doing off the coast of Alaska. So well done. Thank you so much for sharing the news. Anastasia does a great job. She does. So, Lavendar, you set and ready to go? Here. I'm ready to go. Okay. Take it hey, away. Hey, Lavendar, how are you? I'm doing great, Trish. I, I am so excited about this book, The Angelic Origins of the Soul, Discovering Your Divine Purpose. And before we start chatting, I want just to read the back cover to our audience. Your soul is a divine light originating within the angelic orders of heaven. The Tibetan Book of the Dead speaks about the seven lokas or dimensions the soul travels through after death, while the Egyptian Book of the Dead refers to the soul be- becoming one with the ever-renewing phoenix. Yet what is the phoenix but a symbol of our own angelic twin who resides in the highest realms, the essence of our soul? In this book, Trisha McKenna explains how to discover the angelic realms where the highest parts of yourself reside and become the catalyst for your own path of ascension. Exploring the soul's angelic angelic origins, the nine orders of angels, and the multidimensional landscapes of heaven, the canon takes you on the journey each soul makes, a, makes as it descends from the higher vibrational realms to arrive in the world of form. Drawing from the perennial wisdom of the ancient mystery traditions, she looks at what our ancestors have to say about the nature and history of the soul. She reveals how, once embodied, the soul loses its ability to vibrate with the highest celestial levels, causing it to forget its purpose. She addresses our own illusion of separation, from divine oneness arises, causing us to move away from the light and become wrapped up in the shadow of fear and suffering. She explains the six stages of soul evolution we must pass through to heal the wounds of separation, reawaken to higher vibrations, and remember our soul's purpose, the reason your soul chose this incarnation. Presenting the great course curriculum of the soul, the author shows that by remembering our divine essence, We can move beyond conflict and struggle to embrace the love and joy that reside eternally at the core of our being. I love this book. In fact, for the past two weeks, what I do, Trish, is I I have I open the book to the page that I need to know that day. (laughs) It's a it's a daily thing that I'm doing now, opening your book. I love that. Thank you so much. What a compliment, and I'm so glad that you're enjoying it, and especially someone like you, because you yourself have so much insight and wisdom and depth. And so I, I really take that as a very high compliment. Well, I'd like to, to start today by 
having you explain a little bit, first of all, what what made you write the book, and then I w- I'd like for you to speak about the six stages of the soul's evolution, if you would. As you know, I'm a clairvoyant, and I've had the gift of sight and hearing since I was a child. And when I was young, I really didn't have a lot of control over it. I would find myself looking at people and seeing things about their past or their present or their future. But as you know from my first book, Dialogues with the Angels, I um, did a lot of praying growing up here in Atlanta. You know, um, I was my mom was Baptist. I mean, my dad was Baptist. My mother was Methodist, and we became Episcopalians. So I was confirmed at that when I was about 13. And I did a lot of praying that someone wiser than myself would appear that could begin to um, give me a roadmap, let us say, to these interdimensional realms because I was traveling on a nightly basis into them. And I I just, you know, I would be up in the higher realms one night and in the lower realms, and it was kind of like, how do I navigate this gift? And so when I was 19, a group of masters called the Viragi, which means um, detachment, comes from the word Virag, uh, appeared to me and began to train me. And they taught the ancient science of soul travel, and, of course, they had a, a road map into these higher realms. And it was not like believe now and find out when you die. It was actually about <clears throat> if you want to know, you can discover while you're still living in the physical world what these interplanes are like. So I became a, an initiate of that path when I was 19, and those masters have been very profound teachers for me. Um, I found over a period of over a decade that I slowly began to gain um, some control of my gifts. And then when I was about 30, I was in England at Stonehenge, and I had a very powerful experience where an angel appeared to me and unsealed the Akashic Records. And I found that from that point on, I could basically access the soul records of anybody that I met at will. And um, over the last 30 years, I've read for over... 6,000 people around the world, and when I began, I was only going back three, four, five thousand years, um, looking at their past lives and how their past history uh, related to and was connected with this present life and the choices and the tests and the challenges and, and the karmic relationships that they had agreed to participate in. And then I made a leap to where I was going back 10,000, 20,000, 50,000, 70,000 years Ago, and I find myself many times on Earth in more ancient civilizations like Atlantis or Lemuria. And sometimes I actually would see when my client first came to the planet, like maybe in one of the many st- stages or eras of Atlantis. And then I would I would see them literally come in on a spaceship, and they would be human, you know, pretty much like us. Sometimes taller, sometimes shorter, sometimes a little different, but mostly human. And I would think, goodness gracious, where are they from? And so I began to pull the thread of their soul history, and I began to track them up into the wherever planet they come to, you know, come from the Pleiades, the Sirius system, Orion, the Lyran system, the Hercules system, and Arcturus. I mean, there are many systems out there that have interacted with our planet. And I then began to think after a while well, I wonder where the soul was before that and before that and before that. And so over a period of another decade, I gained the ability to basically track the soul 
beyond the third and the fourth and the fifth dimension up into the higher octaves and came to what we would call the Genesis Matrix, which is where we all begin. And this is where, to my complete surprise, I discovered that all of us, no matter how aware or asleep at the wheel or turned around we appear down here or amnesic, that all of us a long, 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 long time ago actually descended from the angelic kingdoms. And, of course, when I discovered that, it was quite astonishing and startling because I had always been taught that angels and humans were very different. And and so then my question became, well, wait a minute. If we started off so connected to the divine as angels, what the heck happened to us? How did we fall into this level of ignorance or um, illusion or separation to where we lie, cheat, steal, kill, and do all the crazy things that we can observe are going on around us and had been for centuries. So then my mission became to try to find um, where that point of perceived separation or illusion set in and, um, and, and the journey, to track the journey of the soul, not from the earth going up but from the higher kingdoms coming down. And when I did that, my readings changed at a very profound level because I began to see how the soul takes on, let us say, different layers or different matrices, and through its own experience and its own choices, it creates affinities, it creates talents and gifts and abilities, and it creates um, also, of course, choice. And from choice, we we either learn and move forward in our understanding of who we are or we tread water or we wind up going backwards and then we have to go back over the same ground in some future life. So it's been a very profound journey for me. Of course, I've learned an enormous amount and there's always more to learn. And, of course, I've learned through my, my, um, my client's records. So every client I consider to be very precious and the reasons that they've come to Earth are, um, in this particular lifetime that, that someone might be in, are very um, particular to that soul and very unique. But they come from a deep and profound soul history. And, of course, we are much greater than what we perceive down here in these mortal human bodies. Wow. That's all I can say. Wow. But as you were talking, I just got to share with you a a vision that I saw of you. And I don't know when it happened, but I could see you being taken aboard ship, be put in a chair, and they put these heads. It's it's not a headset, but it kind of reminds me of a headset. And it's got a three-pronged thing to your third eye, and then it's got other things to your ears, and then one down here on your throat. And they download about 30 volumes at a time, and then you come back and write it. Well, it's so interesting that you say that because I actually, I very seldom really talk about this, certainly not on the radio, but your audience probably is able to handle anything that I could say because they're already very advanced. But, you know, I have been on board uh, ships since I was little, uh, since I was about six years old, with a number of of, uh, different groups, the Pleiadians that look just like us, the Syrians that look very similar to us, They're, they're tall, um, um, some very highly advanced beings from actually they said they were from another universe which didn't make any sense to me because I always thought the universe was everything but they actually showed me these grid points 
that the whole universe is laid out in this grid and how the universe breathes and how when we um, we breathe in, the doors close, and when they, the universe breathes out, the stargates open and that they could travel between dimensions and between universes through these stargates. And I have been actually downloaded with an enormous amount of information, and I'm, you know, very grateful, very, very grateful to my, to my guides. I'm one of the people who hasn't been, you know, taken on board for strange medical experiments with little gray aliens. I've, I've had very positive and powerful and profound teachers from the Star Nation, so I feel very blessed. Yes, yeah, I, I do too. I, I come from that place where. I'm very blessed with the the kinds of higher beings that have have agreed to work with me through all these many many years. So so tell us more. I'm just so excited to hear everything you have to say. Wherever you want to take us in this radio show, I'm willing to go. Well, you know, you asked about the six stages of soul evolution, and I think that's a really great question. When I um, most of the clients that I tend to attract are advanced souls or they're master souls. But there are many, uh, let us say, ages of souls down here on this planet. Um, They're beginner souls. Uh, Beginners are usually very beautiful. They're very pure. They've come from the higher worlds more recently. Uh, They're very innocent, usually highly creative. But they don't recognize evil. They can definitely be stomped on and... um, you know, hurt and wounded very easily. They're so pure and honest, they don't understand the kind of um, deception level that we see in some of the uh, politics and uh, other levels. They just don't understand evil or any of that. So that those souls really need a parents that are advanced or master so that it's like a strong sheltering tree so the little plant can begin to bloom. And if they're allowed that kind of safety, uh, they're, um, they really are, are wonderful, very beautiful. Then those souls are about 2 to 3 billion years old in their soul age. In other words, when they first descended from, let us call it the ocean of love and mercy, that's what the, the, the great masters call it, and how long they've actually been in, in the lower worlds of time and space. Um, then they're young souls. The young souls are um, good intentioned, but they're fear-based. They figured out that this is a very scary, uncertain world, and uh, you know there's lions and tigers and bears, and their minds that are about to pounce on them. So they're usually m- making a lot of rules and regulations. They are so the fundamentalist in every religion of the world, whether it's Christian or Muslim or Native American or whatever. They're, um, you know, they make rules and regulations and curfews, and and they want everyone to be safe and be inside the enclosure and obey all the rules. And of course, advanced souls and master souls don't tend to be run by fear. They, they don't uh, care a thing about staying inside the enclosure. They in fact probably want to go out and make friends with the lions and tigers and bears. And so many times, the fundamentalists that you see that are very rigid and judgmental in churches and so forth are they're good, well-intentioned souls but they're just young souls and they 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 truly believe you know they're holding on for dear life to whatever their precepts and beliefs are because they're scared then there are intermediate souls these souls have figured out there's a game going on down here in their mind there's winners and losers there's dog eat dog and they do not want to be eaten so they want to be a winner no matter who they have to 
basically screw over to be a winner. So these souls are all about power and service to self. And you've got p- politicians that are like this. You've got, you know, business magnets that are like this. You've also got petty criminals that are like this. So there are many souls that fall into this category that are basically about serving themselves and not the, the greater whole. And um, they may be charismatic and charming and rich and powerful and successful, but they're creating lots and lots of karma as they basically, um, you know, create a win-lose dynamic all around them. Then there are advanced souls. These souls are about five and a half to seven billion years old. These souls are, um, they're working more on a win-win dynamic. Many times they get married, they have children, they try to fit into society. But around six and a quarter to six and a half billion years, they become very, very interested in altruistic projects. So these are the people who are out there trying to save the whales and the children and the, the land and the, um, you know, the, the marshes and the birds and get people out of sexual slavery. And I mean, they, these are, I love these souls. These are great souls. And the more they can pursue this deeper passion, whether it's working with children or, um, you know, writing a book or having a radio show, the more they can be in their mission of world service and the faster they accelerate and grow. Then about 7 billion years to about 9 billion years, we come upon master souls. Now, these are souls that are still in process, so it's not like, you know, hey, I hit 7 billion, just add water, poof, I'm a master. No, it's it's an evolution. So about half of these souls never even marry because if they marry the wrong person, it can totally pull them off their purpose and their path, and their path is the most important thing, which, again, has to do with world service. And it can be small, medium, or large ways. You know, they can be working behind the scenes, and people might never even know who they are. Or they can be working, you know, in, in front of the public eye. And you think of someone like Mother Teresa, who, you know, was probably poor her whole life. And um, she died the same week as Princess Diana. And Princess Diana, I think, actually, you know, was a soul who struggled a lot in the human world with the politics and the family she married into and so forth. But I think that she did great good in the world as well. So one was very visible and had money and wore beautiful diamonds and dresses, and the other one, you know, wore cassock and, you know, was trying her best to feed the millions. Both uh, probably very probably advanced souls or young master souls to, or, or very old master souls. And then you have the bodhisattva souls, and those are about um, 9 billion years and up. And, of course, those souls don't even have to return. They've already become avatars. They've really mastered the physical world. But because of their love and compassion for their brothers and sisters down here that are still in you know, fear and ignorance and illusion, they choose to incarnate in the physical world. Are you there? I'm here. Wow. Wow. Oh, yeah, I was just waiting for the next thing. I, I was just so engrossed in what you were saying. It's like, oh, my goodness. That's, that's just fascinating. That's just we're absolutely all fascinating that you have done this research to find all these different levels, and it makes so much sense, everything that you said. Absolutely. 
Well, the thing is, really, as they say, there for the grace of God go any of us. We've all gone through these various stages. You know, uh, we've all been the naive and innocent one, and we've all been, you know, having our fear drive us or our ego has been driven for power. But the whole thing about mastery is coming to terms with your fears and realizing since you are an immortal soul, there really isn't anything to fear unless you've given your power away. And the whole thing about power is the right use of power, which is not dominating everybody else or having to be a narcissist like some unnamed presidential people we might name at this point, or not name. So yeah, right. It's, it's really about making that connection with spirit and becoming empowered through the knowledge of self, which is why, you know, the lintel over the entrance to the Oracle of Delphi said the first rule uh, of knowledge is to know thyself. And once we know thyself, the cosmos exists within us. Then we gain access to, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, and we can forgive ourselves for our mistakes. And if we can forgive ourselves, we can forgive others. We can love ourselves in our imperfection, and if we can love ourselves in our imperfection, we can find it within us to love others in their imperfection. We might not like what they do, we might not agree with it, but we can realize that they too are soul on a journey, maybe at a younger point or an earlier point in their evolution. You know, Tricia, I, I in the last, I'd say last three years, it, it's well, maybe since 2012, maybe I'll go back that far. What I'm noticing about a lot of women that, that call me for sessions is a lot of them have never been married, or if they have been married, they haven't had children. And they, they seem to have a deep sense of knowing that they came here not to have children, that they, they're comfortable with it. And also they have this sometimes, I'd say one out of three, start talking about giving up their eggs to hybrid children aboard ship. Have you run across this? Giving up their, their what to hybrid children? They, they, they have agreed, they come to the planet not to have any earth children because they know that at some point in time that their eggs may be needed to produce hybrid children aboard ship. Yeah. Yes, you know, I think what you're saying is very important. First off, it's possible to have children without karma, but pretty hard because, you know, you never know uh, who's going to come through. Is it going to be a saint or, you know, a bipolar crazy person? And so, you know, it's very difficult to have children without creating karma. And, and, and of course, karma is part of what binds us to the wheel of reincarnation. So many of the people who've come in and chosen not to, let's say, get married or at least not to have children, they, their children might be their books, their radio shows, their projects, their service to the world, the school that they set up, etc. But when you begin to talk about the, the ETs, <coughs> I think that there's a, a really big picture here. And, um, you know, I, I love ancient aliens. I, I think it's great that there are these shows like this out there today. <coughs> Forgive me, I'm getting over that flu, so I've still got a little bit of my cough. So I'm having to, like, try to do a cough drop here. Um, <coughs> the, the whole thing about the hybrid kids is that I think that if we look back on our human history, <coughs> give me just a second here. 
if Get we you look, some water. If we look back on our human history, it seems like time and again we have the same basic thing. We have um, souls that are very dedicated to the light, and we have souls that are dedicated to service to self, and we see it now. I mean, we can see it especially in our politics. We've got a lot of wonderful senators and representatives out there who genuinely um, are trying to serve at a high level with some principles and with some morals. And we have others that are for the sake of power, ease, money, the rich get richer, are basically um, passing legislation and backing things that they know in their gut are not um, in integrity. You know, it's like they've lost their moral compass. So this, this history, as Edgar Casey would have said, the sons of light and the sons of Baal, that's what he called them in Atlantis, it's basically people who are moving towards the divine and awakening the divine in themselves and seeing the sacred in, the, in all of life, including animals and plants and the, and the planet, and people who are exploitive, usury, and basically just taking care of themselves or their immediate family and uh, at the expense of all the other things. And so I think that the ETs love us, and I think that they seeded this planet, giving souls the opportunity to grow. <clears throat> and we've gone through now at least the Hopis and the Mayans would say at least this would be the end of the fourth age that we're coming to. In other words, we've done this dance in Lemuria, and we didn't succeed. We did it in Atlantis, and for a long time we did succeed, and then we didn't succeed. And here we are again in our time with some of these same challenges. And so I think that part of what's happening with the extraterrestrials is it's kind of like if we keep the same DNA pattern and we just keep going through the same mistakes again and again. It's like, what's the definition of insanity? You know, repeating the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So I don't think that they're really trying to just come down here as, you know, aliens and take over the planet at all. I think that they're trying to inject more light and more group um, awareness, consciousness, sensitivity, and heart into um, the human gene pool so that we begin to treat others as we would want to be treated in that Christ consciousness. And, and I think that's part of what that is about. When you talk about the gray aliens, though, that's a different situation. The gray aliens, as you probably know, <coughs> um, well, I don't know exactly what you know. I know you know it a lot, but the gray <laughs> aliens basically came from our future, and in one of our future timelines, there was a solar mass ejection that 70% of the people on the planet died. And the 30% that lived, many of them went underground. And, of course, this is the military. This is the scientists. These are the privileged ones who have access. Well, what are they going to do down there for, you know, 100 years? Well, they start creating biotic, uh, bionic robots, basically the little little gray aliens, no sex organs, you know, they don't eat food in the way that we do, but they're like, you know, a surface race. And eventually that race frees itself and goes on its way and settles in the Tau Ceti system, and they evolve with group mind and telepathy to a very high level, except for the fact that they don't have emotions. 
And so they realize that they're at an evolutionary dead end, so they've come back to, you know, the last 100 years to get the DNA of the makers, that would be us, to try to recombine the DNA of the makers with their own DNA to create a hybrid race that has emotion as well as intellect, feeling as well as, you know, technological prowess so that they can spiritually evolve. So a lot of the gray aliens that were coming here came from 10, 20, 30, 40,000 years in the future. By 40,000 years, they've achieved this, and they have, you know, very beautiful, advanced, harmonious, peaceful societies. So we created in that timeline the problem with the gray aliens, who now, of course, have learned time travel, so they've come back, you know, much, much further in time to prehistoric times. They've, they've you know, dropped in through many eras of our history. That's a different situation than the one I'm talking about where there's a galactic council that has been trying to provide a beautiful environment for us as souls to grow, and they keep observing that we keep repeating the same mistakes, and they're trying to figure out, using the laws of non-interference, how they can help us to make a different set of choices so we don't have to have everything wiped out and, of course, with nuclear you know, power plants all over the planet, it would essentially make the planet uninhabitable. If we have a pole shift with these earthquakes, that's it. And this is one of the reasons why the ATs have been monitoring our nuclear and atomic facilities so closely, because they know that these, you know, earthquakes and things that are happening all over the world um, are going to eventually result in a pole shift, which is why the poles are melting. So they are really trying to help us to, you know, um, by making contact behind the scenes, uh, through monitoring the facilities. Maybe if the poles shift, start shifting severely enough, maybe they'll beam up those nuclear um, arsenals so that we don't pollute the planet and take the planet down with us. But they're actually on the side of humanity in an enlightened state, they're at trying to help. And, of course, they're working through people like many of our listeners, through people like you, people through me. And one person's, you know, setting up a school. Another person's writing books. Another person's doing radio shows. Another person's doing healing. We're all doing our part to try to tip the um, mass consciousness towards greater and greater awakening so that humanity can continue and thrive and we don't have to repeat the same silly pattern of having to wipe everybody and everything out and start over every 12,000 years. Does that make sense? Well, you know, I have noticed just in the past 24 months how women have been somehow awakened to uh, step into their power. And, of course, we've been seeing this with the marches all over the world but the thing that I really riveted to a uh, day before yesterday, a friend of mine, uh, Matilda, called me from uh, Las Vegas, and she told me there was like 34 or 38 women that are now running for office in the state of Nevada. And wow. I went, wow, the women wow. are really rising up now. Goddess well, is here. Know, this is part of the great cycles of time. And I, I actually talk about this. And, you know, I have, you know, we have this new book, The Angelic Origins of the Soul, which is, as you say, an amazing book. And I love the fact that it has 16 color pages of images plus about 100 black and white images, as all my other books do. But I have two more books that are just, um, you know, I'm chafing at the bit to get to write. And I'm not sure what's going to come first. I think 
Legacy of the Gods is probably going to come first, but um, I have another one called A Shift of the Ages and the New Earth. And these are, you know, like they're children waiting to be born. And, um, of course, each one of these children take a year or two by the time you write it, edit it, and ha- it finally get it out into the world. So they're, I don't seem to be able to give birth to little 200-page children. My books are 350 to 450 pages, but... I think it's because I understand how to connect the dots and how the ET situation is not separate from the climate change and the climate change isn't separate from the women's movement and that isn't separate from, um, you know, angels and that isn't separate from spiritual awakening and evolution. It's all connected in a pattern. And, you know, my books, as you know, deal very much with the great spiritual mysteries and how the ancients understood this activation process of the body, mind, and spirit that eventually leads to mastery and how Jesus, of course, was a great master of all of these profound mysteries and simplified it for, you know, the country that he was born into uh, to say things like, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, forgiveness is the key, love is the answer. You know, these are, even if you're a bit of a dodo brain, you know, these are key things that no matter what your dogma or culture upbringing are, we can, we can understand. And, of course, he had deeper esoteric teachings, which I am very much a, a student of and try to convey to people, which is why I wrote the book about the lost years of Jesus and also about the secret teachings of Jesus and the divine feminine. And in the understanding of the cycles of time, when Atlantis fell, 12,000 years ago, we fell below the plane of the galaxy. And like a big sine wave, we you know, made a big U. And now we're coming up to where we are aligning with the energy coming from the great central sun. And, of course, as you know, that's about 27 degrees of Sagittarius. And, you know, you were the first astrologer I ever heard that talked about that important alignment between 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29. I, I love that about your work. And... Um, it takes us about a thousand years to pass through that galactic center. So we're about halfway through. But the, the ancients tell us that as we come up, that the divine feminine begins to rise. And as we can sort of see, we've been, uh, for a large part, in a, a trowel where, the, where the, the patriarchy has sort of been ruling. And women didn't, only got the right to vote in America in 1922. I think in um, Switzerland it was or Sweden, it was like 1975. I mean, when you consider in Japan, it took women seven decades to get the pill. It took men ten days to get Viagra. Ten days, okay? So it tells you who's, who is in charge and who's voting for what. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to see these women begin to awaken and rise up and say, you know, we're bigger than, than our vision for the future is more unified than the one that's being presented to us right now. We don't stand for hatred. We don't stand for bigotry. We don't stand for gender or racial prejudice. We stand for honor and honesty and kindness to people, to animals, to the environment, uh, and, and to all races. And bravo that these women are coming forth. It's, it's our turn. I think, I, I think it's really our turn. I really and believe I that, that we've come wonderful. to a place now where we have earned the right to stand in our power and and be heard 
and to put uh, a new creation down on the planet for the new kids that are coming. I really do believe that. And I want to say that I think there's some wonderful men out there. I really want to honor the fact that for all these centuries, when I talk about the oppression of the patriarchy, guess what? The Knights Templar were fabulous men that were standing for the divine union of Mary Magdalene and Jesus. So were the Cathars. Again and again, we've had men of heart and courage and wisdom that did have a bigger vision. And I think it's very important to acknowledge them and include them. Oh, I agree, totally. In fact, I find a lot of men these days that really are goddesses in disguise. Yes, in fact, I have one of those wonderful men that came over tonight. You know, I've been fighting the flu like a lot of people out there. I'm kind of coming out of it, although I still got a cough. But it was so cold in this house here in Atlanta um, for the first time in 16 years, I've decided to put up floor-to-ceiling drapes along my whole back wall, which is just, um, you know, with windows. So my friend Ron decided to come to the rescue. He's one of those Templar Cather men who is very much a knight to come over and help hang drapes for me tonight. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, I noticed what time it is, and would you be available for the next few minutes just to maybe answer some questions from some people that may want to call in and talk to you? Yes, and if you want to, I would love to do another show with you because you are so fascinating and insightful, and we have such a good time. And I I thought we were going to have an hour, but I I know I've got my little coughing going on. And if if you want to, I'm I'm home in February and March, and in fact, I'm launching a course in March, mid March, around the Divine Feminine, the Sacred Feminine, and Mary Magdalene, and I um. I can maybe we can set up something in February, and I can tell our listeners more about it. Well, how about you want to come on next next Tuesday and just have a continuation of what we're doing now? You want to do that? Can we go for a couple of weeks? Would that be all right? Okay, okay. That I'll, I'll, I'll get back with you and give you uh, next not this next Tuesday, but the Tuesday after that. Okay. Yeah. That would be wonderful. And we can we can take a few questions or comments or whatever. I'm sure our listeners are pretty wise and astute out there, and we could probably spend an hour just talking to them. Yeah. So at this time I'd like to pass you over to my co-host, Ariel, and we'll talk later, Trish, because we're going to be talking about some wonderful things about you and your starseed markings in your chart. So we'll be I'll be calling you about that later. That would be great. I would love that this week. And listen, I'm so sorry again about your kitty passing this morning. That was a big thing. I know it was 18 probably time, but I lost my 18-year-old kitty in May. And, you know, it's, it's great when the spirit gets to leave the body when it's old and worn out. But we, we love them and we miss them. So bless you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, this has been kind of a strange day for me today. So, but I'm so glad that you came on the show to lift my spirits and to remind me of what our missions are on the planet. So thank you for that. Well, call me in the next couple of mornings. I'd just love to talk with you, honey, okay? We'll talk. Okay, back to you, Ariel. Hey, Ariel. Okay. Hello. Hey. Well, I am, I am just, I have been on the edge of my seat listening. It's like, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, she's right. She's got it. Yeah, it's just like it all, and then things like, oh, wow, I didn't know that, but look how it fits into what I do know. So hopefully that it, it was, you know, kind of connecting the dots for a lot of people that were listening. And um, 
we we do have people that have questions, but I I, I think um, that they're looking for readings, and I don't know that you want to do that tonight. What I'd say is this. Um, I really can't do them tonight because I'm really just coming out of my flu land. And um, I, today, actually, I had about 15 packages people have sent me in the two weeks I've been sick, and so I'm just starting to schedule those. But if they wanted to go to my website, um, I'll tell you my website, and I'll also give you my number. You can write it down, my phone number. Shocking but true. Yes, I'm going to give out a phone number. But wait and call me next week, and just try to call me before 4, uh, because usually I set my readings up about 4 in the afternoon. Um, and you can call me next week, and I'm happy to talk to you about a reading and tell you how all that goes and you know so forth. So um, my phone number in Atlanta, my landline, is 678 678- Three oh nine zero eight eight eight, and I always love that zero eight 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 because I remember I used to live before this house for nine years. I lived at a eight 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 Charles Allen Drive, and I used to make jokes. Well, better than six six six. And then I found that eight 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 in Gematria is the number of the Christ. It's the Trinity of Infinity. So six seven eight three oh nine. 0888. You can call me. And my website, of course, is Trisha McCannon, um, speaks.com. And unless there's some strange logarithm or algorithm that's going on out there with all those patches they were talking about, you should be able to get to it very easily. And there's all sorts of information on there about my mystery school that I teach. I finally have 12 online classes, all four books are there, probably about 35 really professionally done DVDs on the great spiritual mysteries and Atlantis and so forth. <clears throat> and I am I'm in Atlanta here the first weekend of August. I'm going to be doing a weekend intensive on lost civilizations. William Henry and I are going to be doing a weekend here. And I can it, I don't think that's even up on the website yet because I've been sick with the flu. So in February I'll have more information up about that. And then, as I said, I'm going to be launching a a wonderful six-part online class on uh, the Divine Feminine and Mary Magdalene and some of those secrets in March. So all that will go up on the website next next month. So just check it out. Call me next week, and I'm happy to speak with you. Okay. So, um, yeah, the the people that had had questions were wanting – um, you know, personal information, so <clears throat> we won't be taking those calls. But um, you said something that really um, got my ear uh, when you were talking about your, your thing that's coming out in March. Um, what are the dates for that? Well, let me just tell you about this. Um, there's an organization called Sacred Stories Media, and they started calling me in June, and she had read two of my books, and she said, you absolutely have to do classes for me. Well, of course, I was gone all of July, so we finally talked in August. And this fall, I put together an incredible class that was seven-part, nine hours, on the lost years of Jesus, the great spiritual mystery schools, where he went, what he learned, what he taught, all of that stuff. And that launched just for the month of December through, it's called um, Sacred U, like Sacred University, Sacred U. And so it's under, if you look it up online, it's Sacred Stories Media. And she does some really amazing classes. This woman comes out of the corporate world, but she's very high consciousness and doing it for very pure reasons. She's got a class going right now about the aura 
And then there's going to be a class that's going to be launching about shamanism with um, Steve Farmer and Linda Starwolf. And, you know, Steve Farmer wrote all those shaman books. So um, if people write me, I'll send them a link to that whole class um, because it's something that I believe in, in, in promoting. So this class that I'm talking about, I'll be putting together over the next six weeks, and it will launch on March 12th. So, again, if you contact me, sign my news, sign up for my newsletter. It's free. That's fine. I'll have your email, or you can just email me directly at Trisha McCannon Speaks. That's T-R-I-C-I-A, and then McCannon's just like it sounds, M-C-C-A-N-N-O-N, and then the word speaks at yahoo.com. You can email me and put in there, you know, from Starseed Radio. You know, just put that in the tagline and ask me to add you to my um, newsletter list, and I'll send you out an announcement about that class. And then I'm probably going to do one this summer on the Egyptian mysteries. So um, I really love this woman. I think it's a terrific organization, and the classes are very reasonable. And once you order them, you can just watch them in your own time. So they're live, um, but um, they're also recorded. So you know you can order it during the month that it's offered, and if you don't get to watch it for, you know, three months, that's fine, and you can go back and watch it as many times as you want to. So it's very cool. Excellent. So it, it starts on the 12th of March. Is it Does it continue past that? It will go for about a month. There's about a month that she offers it. And we're going to re-offer the Jesus class probably in June. Uh, you know, it's only offered either once or twice a year. It's, so it's a little window of time. And, you know, you can order it and then watch it on your own schedule. Excellent. Excellent. Well, the reason that it, it kind of it got my ear because I thought you said it was more like mid-March. And, um, and this year the sun will be at galactic degree at that time. Oh, really? And I thought, what, well, what did, <laughs> did she know that? Or did, or uh, or was it just, uh, you know, uh, divine it worked timing. out that way? Divine, yeah, it divine. is divine timing. Yeah, and, what, you know, the, when the when the sun is at galactic degree um, in, in March, which is Pisces, that is in alignment with Jesus and Mary Magdalene. So how perfect is that? I I love that. Well, you know, we tried to actually um, do the Jesus class, of course, during the the window of of the Christmas holiday, and then the reason we would release it in June is because the summer solstice is the time of the highest light, the greatest light, and of course Jesus was considered a great solar lord that had come from the great central sun as um, some of the other solar lords before him had been. So that's an appropriate time. And for the Mm -hmm. goddess, you know, there's certain times that are key for her. For example, we're about to hit one of them, which is Candlemas, which is Bridget's Day. That's uh, February the 2nd. And it's um, Candlemas, meaning it's a time when people are tired of the winter. And so they show up with candles to celebrate the time of the greatest light. The light will return. We believe it. Even though the days are still dim and dingy and the snow's on the ground, we believe the light's coming back. And then, of course, right around the equinox, which is around March 23rd, you have, um, you know, the return of Persephone in the ancient world, which is the maiden that then heralds the return of the spring. 
And then the beginning of August, which is about six months around the, the calendar, you have the celebration of Demeter, which is the mother of the bounty of the earth. And so these are all, you know, part of the galactic window, basically, of the eight high holy days that were honored within the ancient world. And half of them were dedicated to the divine masculine and half to the divine feminine. And I think that's, you know, perfect. It's the balance of the universe. Absolutely. But I I hadn't heard about what you were talking about, other than I knew that the Ides of March were right in that window. Right. Well, it just yeah, it just caught my ear because when people talk about um you know, calendar days that are, you know, between the 15th and the 20th, then you have to wonder if they're if they're clued in or if they're just in such, you know, alignment that it it is divine um guidance or suggestion. Um I, but that's what it is here, divine <laughs> So, um Speaking about about Christmas and 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 Jesus in your um, studies and, and research, is there any clue as to um, when Jesus was really born? Because we know it wasn't <laughs> December twenty fifth. Well, actually, you know that's a great question. Um, I did extensive research about this, and <clears throat> I talk about it. You know, I have a whole section on it in the Jesus book, and what the astrology would mean if he was born at certain times. So there's four or five dates that I look at specifically. Um, One of them is um, July 27th, and this was a time when the helical rising of Sirius took place, you know, in Egypt each year, creating the melting and the floodwaters then brought abundance to the whole Nile Delta. And there was a conjunction at that time in 7 B.C. between Regulus. Regulus is the brightest star in the constellation of Leo the Lion. It's about five times the size of our sun, and it's the heart of the lion. And it was uh, flanked by... So I, Sirius would have been considered Sosa Sirius or Isis, the divine mother. Regulus would have been considered the king that returns, that is the heart, the king of the heart, the king of love. And he was also flanked by Mercury, which in astrology at the time of the gods and goddesses would have been considered the minister of wisdom, um, in, um, who I think... Uh, which was Thoth, of course. And so that's one time we look at. Another time, which for my money I think was probably the real date, is around the 10th of October. And I have eyewitness accounts from these um, Essenes that were teachers in Qumran who actually saw um, the four stars uh, coming from four directions and merge into one bright star and send this beacon of light down into Bethlehem, and it was about 50 miles away from where he was, but he could see he could see it very clearly. And he talked about the fact that it was slightly after Yom Kippur, which at that time was around the first or second of October. So of course that's the Day of Atonement. So if you look at the astrology, <clears throat> the sun comes to sit right at the top of the scales of balance, 
the, the sign of Libra. In other words, the Lord of Light who sits in the halls of the dead, weighing the souls of the dead on the balanced scales of life. And, of course, Jesus says things like, no one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus and Osiris, for my money, were different incarnations of the same soul. And, of course, Osiris was thought to be the Lord of Light who who welcomes the souls in the Lord's, in the halls of Amente, which is the antechamber of heaven. So <clears throat> that's another one. And believe it or not, there were two other dates that actually are on December 25th. Now, if you believe that the Star of Bethlehem was actually a UFO, which is certainly possible because it was leading those wise men for a long time across the you know, tundra for months to get to Bethlehem, um, then it doesn't. These astrological conjunctions don't matter. But in 6 and 7 BC, on December 20, uh, 25th, there were actually two very powerful conjunctions. One was Jupiter conjunct Saturn. So that would be the Lord of Light, Jupiter conjunct, that means sits next to the Lord of the secular world, the king of the secular world, Saturn. And those are, of course, the two biggest planets in our solar system, so that would have been very, very bright. Um, the second one was the helical rising of Venus, the heart, and Mercury, the mind, the god of wisdom, that happened um, just uh, in the sign of Pisces, by the way, and it only happens in Pisces um, every, like, 480 years. And so it happened uh, three times in succession right there um, at the time Jesus would have been born. One of them was on December 25th, and I think that's 6 B.C. And so they come up literally together, and then the sun comes up shortly afterwards. And so I actually have that in my chart, but it's not in Pisces. Mine is aligned with the center of the galaxy. My Mercury and Venus are right around 26, 27 degrees of Sag, and my son is at four degrees of Capricorn. So I have that same helical rising in my chart, but it's in the constellation of Sagittarius, not the constellation of Pisces. And then, of course, there were people who looked at Pisces. But John the Baptist, if you remember, was born six months before Jesus, and he really would have been an Aries. So I think that, I mean, red-headed, hot-headed, you know, uh, tempestuous, charismatic, you know, definitely, you know, had some anger issues going on when he didn't agree with what Herod and um, those guys were doing. And so Jesus was born six months later, so I think he probably was a Libra. Um, But, you know, Pisces, as you say, the high end of Pisces is the Christ consciousness, and he was the avatar for the age of Pisces. Right. Well, I was was thinking about the the star markings that, that Lavendar teaches, and you know the galactic degree in Pisces is um, you know connected to that. Not saying that that's when he was born, but it is the um, you know like you said the high side of Pisces is um, ultimate divine love. It is ultimate divine love. It is the Christ consciousness. It is that oneness. And I my guess would be if we really ran his chart uh, um, from for those dates that probably there were some very important planets that were in Pisces 
uh, it, it might not have been the sun, but it could easily have been, you know, Venus or uh, Mercury or uh, Jupiter. It would be it'd be interesting to know. Uh, you know, I'm an astrologer too, but I'm not sure my program goes back to six or seven BC. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> ambitious you know but i think it'd be really great to run it and see knowing what since all of us love astrology and you know we're students of it um it, it would be really interesting to see what was happening on, on those dates that we just talked about yeah. it's great yeah. i have to say it's really great to talk with other astrologers and i've really the last time i did your show i was so impressed with all three of you I think all three of you are amazing and just have your own levels of wisdom that are uh, delightful. And I, I, I look forward to getting to do another show with you guys. So thank you so much for having me on. And I'm, I'm sorry I'm kind of like fading with my voice, but um, in two weeks I promise I'll be better. Oh, well, you have just given us so much, um, you know, physical problems notwithstanding um, we so appreciate your sharing your time, your wisdom, and years of research and dedication to the planet. Um, we're just happy that you are alive and walking among us um, in these days because there's a lot of people that have, they're starting to ask questions. A lot of well, you know people have been waking time. up and asking those questions. So it's, 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 a, it's, it's a time. Yeah, you know, and, and the I so said the great thing about the internet is that um for all of its um faults, foibles and, and, and problems, it is still connecting the world. People. It's the grid. You know? It's it's you know, I'm a priestess of Spider Woman within the goddess path and spider woman is the galactic grid. You know, they say she who sits at the center of all things, you know, she who was before time and space. She who had two daughters, she who matters, that would be space, and she who remembers, and that would be time. And so the, the, the Internet is a manifestation of that beautiful grid, that beautiful web through which information and knowledge can flow. And so is radio, and so is television. And so we're very, very fortunate to be living in a time when voices like yours and Anastasia and Lavendar's uh, can be heard and, um, it's, and, and shared with the people who are listening to this program, many of who have their own wisdom and their own um, important, uh, masterful missions in this world. So that's uh, why I love doing your show, because I really know that I'm, among a, a a group of um star family people and it's it's really an honor so thank you so very much for oh. having me tonight you are so welcome and i just want to thank you again and we'll look forward to having you back here real soon and we can continue and you'll have a uh, <laughs> a full tank <laughs> to uh, to help you through so that, that's great yeah. Do I need Will to you take my website one more time, or can you do that? Okay, um, it, uh, the website is Tricia, T-R-I-C-I-A, McCannon, M-C-C-A-N-N-O-N, speaks.com. And um, once again, for um, uh, those who might want to contact you for a reading, uh, 
That number is 678-309-0888. And um, I, I realize we've got we've got one more um, caller, but we don't have any more time this evening. So um, perhaps if uh, you would call back in two weeks when Tricia comes back, you can um, ask your question then. I'd, I would love so, that. Thank you okay. so very much. Happy New Year to everyone. And to you as well, sweetie. Thanks okay. so much. Bye. Bye-bye. And uh, from all of us here at Starseed Radio Academy, we thank you for listening, for tuning in, and we will be back um, next week. And Tricia will be back in a couple of weeks. So uh, join us again. And until then, remember to find something to be grateful for every day. Keep that frequency up. Until then, have a great week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.